This morning's scripture reading will be from Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. That's page 1042 in the Pew Bible. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Here we are, the beginning of June. Number one, it's kind of hard to believe that this year has passed this quickly. Number two, it's exciting to think of the summer that God is giving us the opportunity to be a part of. You know, I remember being, you know, six, seven, eight years old, you know, years before the the summer job, so to speak. And, And I remember mom waking us up on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. And, and we would say in the summertime, we'd say, mom. Why, why can't we sleep in? And every time it was, no, we're going to have a productive summer. And so there was that mixture of work and chores and fun and everything. But, you know, isn't it awesome to be a part of a congregation that has plans for a very, very productive summer? What's that summer going to look like? We have over 160 that will be headed to the Young people, the youth Bible camp this afternoon. We're excited about the good that will be done this week and challenging every day throughout the day and into the evening will be Bible classes and devotionals and and Christian fellowship and just good, good times together focusing upon God. And we are thankful that we have so many young people and so many adults that are willing to make this a reality. But then by the end of this week, we will also have another group of about 25 that will go on what we traditionally call our stateside campaign. And the stateside campaign will be in Owenton, Kentucky. A little congregation is being planted there as we speak. As in a few years ago when we went to the county next door in Grant County, there also at that time was a congregation being planted The good that was done there was absolutely amazing. If we look long-term, probably the most good that we've ever done in a stateside campaign was there. Almost every soul that we reached during that campaign is still faithful today. Our hope and our prayer is that as this church, this congregation is planted in this county, that there will be many individuals in that county that will know that there's a congregation of the Lord's church there. They'll know that they're invited to a gospel meeting and hopefully and prayerfully they will attend. And they will be asked if they want to sit down and study the Bible. Then also, in a very similar fashion, we have a group of about 35 the very next week that will go to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, the fourth largest city in the state of Mississippi. And in this work, we'll be working with a congregation that's very well established and has been uh, in existence for decades but yet the goal is to go into this town of over 50,000 and reach as many people with the invitation of the good news of Jesus Christ as well as have a gospel meeting in the evenings. 
And then as that group gets back, the very next week, this is first, second, third, and fourth week of June, our college age and 20-somethings will be going to West Virginia, Marlington, West Virginia, and a mission trip that has become a very special part of the life of that congregation as this will be our fourth mission trip there. And it's really the highlight of the year for this congregation. And there'll be a vacation Bible school with adult classes being taught each evening. And we look forward to the good that will take place. About 250 people will be involved on the four trips that you see there. We hope, though, 100%, even though that's about 25% of the congregation, we hope that 100% of the congregation will be involved in prayers. You'll be involved in support. You'll be involved in encouragement. The ones that go, that's not what the trip is all about. It's about us as a church family working together and supporting each other and each doing their part. It's good that some can go, but it's also very good that others can remain behind and keep the work going and be a support and prayer warriors during that time. As we do think about a productive summer, I'd like for you to think about the book of Philippians, not really the book, but a passage out of it today. As a matter of fact, the text that's been capably read will be the text for all day long. You see, what I'd like for us to see in this passage is that Paul wanted productivity in the life of those of Philippi also. And so he had prayers for them. And oftentimes because, which we didn't read this morning, but in Philippians, the first chapter, beginning at verse 3, it's such a beautiful mentioning of his previous prayers for them that oftentimes, to be honest with you, we just hang up right there. For example, do you remember in Philippians 1 and 3, we don't have a slide for this, but if you have your Bible open, remember this is where he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And he talks about why he loves these people and why he thanks God for them. And this brings, it's a long run on sentence by today's standards, but when we come to verse 8, he finishes this sentence by saying, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. That just captures our attention. We look at this and we can't help but think, wow, how Paul loved these people. He had such great affection for these people. Wow, how Paul prayed and was so thankful for these people. And sometimes, surely it's unintentional, but verse 9, 10, and 11, where he goes into detail to tell us what he prayed on their behalf, those are the verses that give us great insight to if we want productivity in our life as a church family, what is it that we ought to be praying for ourselves as a church family? If we want productivity in our own lives and for our our, our Christian brothers and sisters, what is it that we ought to be praying? And as we look here, we get some keen insight to what that ought to be. I'd like for you to notice again there, the, on the slides there that's on the, the screen right now, notice there's five uh, groupings, if you will, either words or groupings of words that are in bold. Those are the words primarily that we're going to study between this morning and tonight. In other words, there were five areas that he prayed on their behalf. He prayed for their love. He prayed for their knowledge. He prayed for them to be able to discern. He prayed for them to be able to have works that were good and sincere and not offensive. He prayed also for them to be able to be people 
that could give glory and praise to God. These were things that he prayed on behalf of his brothers and sisters in Christ. I know we've talked about it not that long ago in some Bible classes. I think I've mentioned it to you at least once in in a sermon in the last year, and so I'm not going to belabor the point right now, but I just want you to note, to give yourself an evaluation. God, I believe, expects us to bring everything that's on our heart to Him in prayer. I believe that's good and right. But if the only things that we're ever bringing to God in prayer is physical concerns and concerns for possessions and asking God and thanking God for those, we've missed the greater part of what the spiritual family ought to be praying for. I challenge you to go back and to read in Ephesians, the first chapter and the third chapter and read Philippians 1 and so many other passages to see For example, what was Paul praying about? And so today, I I ask you as we go into this study, just give some thought. Is this the kind of prayers that you offer up? Because what do we want? We want a productive summer. We want things to be to God's glory. But what is it that we need to be about? And what is it that we need to be praying about in order for that to come to fruition? On this next slide, you'll see the very same passage, but you'll see something else bold and underlined there. I want you to notice here, ultimately, what all of this that he was praying about, it's, it's almost as if it was centered around that phrase, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. You see what he's wanting them to ultimately be is he wants them to be people filled with fruits of righteousness that can only come about by Jesus Christ. We understand what it is to have an orchard and and we can imagine an orchard that, that just produces bushel after bushel after bushel of fruit and we can imagine another orchard that produced nothing and immediately we would say something's wrong with the one that produces nothing. Can you imagine you and I run into each other, not literally, but in the grocery store and, and we each have our buggies and, and, and we are at the very last aisle. We've, we've already walked from the entrance and we've gone through all the produce and we're over and, and now we're over by the, the butter, okay? And, and, and while we're over there, you, you say to me, hey, wh- what are you doing? And I say, oh, I'm go- going out to do the grocery shopping for the whole family for a month. I- I've got to really bring in the groceries. You say, okay. And you glance down. Now what are you going to say when my buggy is empty? Are you going to acknowledge it or are you just going to act like I'm going to ignore the fact that he's crazy? What what would you do? You're you're going to bring in the groceries for a month. Yes, yes. Shop this whole store over right here. Wow, I'm a a good father. I've been really working hard. Where's the fruit? Where's the productivity? Can you imagine saying, I'm going to be a Christian. I I don't really produce any fruits of righteousness by the power of Jesus Christ, but I'm going to be a Christian. We're going to have a productive summer in the Lord's work, but at the end of the summer, our buggy's empty. Friends, none of us want that. And thank God that we're in a congregation that encourages and strengthens each other and helps each other focus so that surely that wouldn't be true for any of us. But the reality is Paul had a great prayer that he prayed on behalf or for those of Philippi. And his prayer for them was that they would produce great fruits of righteousness. 
by Jesus Christ. Only the righteousness is found in the lives of those that are living for Jesus. This morning, what I'd like for us to do is spend the rest of our time talking about the importance of prayer in the life of Mount Juliet this summer if we are to be productive as God would want us to be. And number two, then we'll go into the first one of this list of five and we'll look at love and then come back tonight and look at the next four in this list. Let's think about prayer for just a moment. I'd like for you to look at Romans, the 12th chapter. On this next slide, I just have two or three passages. I just want to give you words of thoughts from each of these passages. In Romans, the 12th chapter, in verse 12, we read at the end of the verse. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Sounds like a command, doesn't it? It's a duty. Is that safe to say? Is that accurate? Can we say that Christians are commanded to pray? Absolutely. Now let's ask this question. Is that the only reason you pray? When we grow and mature as a Christian, isn't it true that a part of that growth and a part of that maturity would literally lead us to the point where we would want to pray. Let's read like in Psalms. We could read several passages in Psalm like this, but look at Psalm 55 and verse 1 where he says, Give ear to my prayer, O God. And then he prays being concerned for, for the enemies that he, he faces. But think about that. Here is, a, here is a man coming and he's saying, God, will you please listen to my prayers? Or let's skip down and look at 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter in verse 9. He talks about the thanksgiving that he renders to God for them. And look down in verse 10. He says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see you. All right, was he just trying to fulfill a duty? No. Here Paul says, I prayed night and day exceedingly. In other words, Paul's prayer life was to fulfill the duty of a Christian, but his prayer life was by compulsion also where he knew that there was so much that he needed from God that he would have to take it to God because only God could do it. You know, the reality is we can't live each other's lives. Paul wanted the people of Philippi to do good. He wanted the people of Thessalonica to do right. And so what did he do? He did all he could do, but then he took them to God in prayer and he would do so exceedingly. Why? Because when we think about fruit, ultimately there is a standard that we want to reach. Let's go back a slide and I'd like for you to look in in Galatians, the fourth chapter, and especially, uh, I want us especially on this slide to notice Ephesians 4, but let's just mention first Galatians 4 and 19. Notice when Paul went into Galatia, he He taught the people about Jesus Christ. He converted them. He went on his way and found out that later they had fallen away. And so then he writes the book of Galatians to urge them to come back. Well, at the time he's urging them to come back, his heart is broken and his heart is heavy that they are leaving the Lord that they had been converted to. And so it's in this setting that he says, for whom I labor in birth again. Now think about it. I labor. Paul, what are you trying to do? He says, I'm trying to have a a fruitful existence with these people of Galatia. What are we trying to do? We want to have a fruitful summer. Well, the question is, are we willing to labor? 
Are we willing to give it our all? Notice he says, I labor in pain just like a woman giving birth to a child. Paul, what are you saying? He says, when I realized the people of Galatia were not where they were supposed to be, it broke my heart. I began working to the point that I was in pain over the fact of where they were and where they should have been. Friends, it's people with a burden in their heart that first accomplish the most for God's glory. We're going to get to that love in just a moment, but that is huge. But what are we striving to reach ourselves? Here we are at the beginning of June. When we come to the end of July or the end of August, the question is you personally, where are you going to be spiritually? Are you going to be further down the road? Are you going to grow? Are you going to mature? What about us as a life of a congregation? As a congregation, are we going to be at a different place spiritually? Are we going to grow? Are we going to mature? Will this summer be good for God's kingdom and good for our growth and development? What are we striving to become? In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, if we had the time to really develop verses 13, 14, and 15, we could see this over and over. But look at verse 15 especially. where This is where he's saying, speak the truth in love. Now notice that he says, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head Christ. Now I want you to imagine a timeline, and here we are in June, and I want you to imagine that way down the road, we have this image. It's the image of Jesus Christ. We are striving to grow into the image of Jesus Christ. Are we there? No one in this room is there yet. And so what are we striving to do? We're striving ourselves to grow and mature. We're wanting to help each other grow and mature. We're willing to go to Kentucky and to Mississippi and West Virginia because we want others to grow and mature. And everybody that we come in contact, whether it's, it's the person sleeping above you this week at camp, or if it's the stranger's door you're knocking on in Kentucky, what are we wanting to do? If it's the child you're teaching in a VBS at West Virginia, what are we wanting to do? We're wanting them to see the stature, the fullness of Jesus Christ And we're wanting individuals to start taking steps in their life that will never stop always moving toward Jesus Christ. Let's move forward now. And as we go back to our text, I'd like for you to look at the word love. Now, just to make sure we're on the same page, because this is where we're traveling for the whole day. What is it that we want in this productive summer? We want to grow more into the image of Jesus Christ. And we realize that we're not on this journey alone and that we must be prayerful. What are we going to pray on ours and others' behalf? Number one, we need to be praying about love. Isn't it interesting that that's where he begins in this prayer? Look again, and this I pray that your love may abound. You know, it's no surprise that he begins with love when we look at other passages in the Scripture. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3, we could look at another passage in Thessalonians. We read about faith, hope, and love. But notice also when we look at 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. Let's look at the next slide. And and notice in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 how he says in this great passage of love, this is the chapter of love. It's considered the greatest uh, writings about love. And notice what he says here. And now abides faith, 
hope, love. These three, the greatest of these is love. Now, do you think Paul is trying to belittle faith and hope? No. We won't read of any writer in the scriptures belittling the importance of faith or the importance of hope. And surely none of us would want to do that. But friends, we can't take away from what the scriptures clearly teach. What does the scriptures clearly teach? As important as it is to have faith, to have conviction, as important as it is to have hope and know that God keeps his promises, God teaches us that love is the greatest. How are you going to interact with each other at camp? How are you going to interact with each other on mission trips? How are we going to interact with each other, the ones that are sending and the ones that are being sent? How are we going to interact with the congregations that are hosting us? How are we going to interact at the door when the person answering the door doesn't want anybody knocking on their door? The greatest of these is love. Friends, you take love out of the life of a Christian and you don't have a Christian anymore. You take love as the leading virtue out of the life of a congregation and you don't have the Lord's congregation anymore. The greatest of these is love. What kind of love is it? First, I want you to notice that he's going to God in prayer on behalf of those of Philippi asking for this love to continue. In other words, Paul is addressing it to say that this love has to be of God. This love is divine. Man doesn't just go out and create this love on his own. We confuse love sometimes with talking about a sentimental feeling or an attraction. There's somebody or something over here. And we find ourselves drawn to them and we say, I love them. That's not the love that's being talked about here. It's much more of a commitment. It's more of an action. It's not a feeling or an attraction. And so this love that is divine, notice in Romans 5 and 5 where he says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When we became Christians, we were baptized into Christ. Now how did we get there? We became believers in Jesus Christ. And as we learned, we loved the Lord so much that we were willing to repent and turn away from sins. We loved the Lord so much, we were willing to make our stand with Him. I confess, it doesn't matter what kind of persecution it brings in my life. I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Listen, this kind of love that would move us into the waters to be baptized for the remission of sins receives a gift of the Holy Spirit where the Lord says... I can give you more love. I can immerse you into a beautiful, beautiful life that's going to bear fruit. So we receive that gift of the Holy Spirit and what is the first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Notice there in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Love. It's the first. Why? It's divine. 
I'm missing a connection with God if I miss love. Now, what are we praying for each other? I would hope that this would spark a desire within every one of us in this congregation that we would pray this prayer or at least very similar characteristics of this prayer on behalf of our congregation every day this summer. Will you pray for love, the love that is of God, to abound? But notice that word abound. This love is expansive. When we see that it may abound, it is meant to increase and increase and increase. You remember we talked about we're moving towards the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ, but we're not there yet. So the question is, are you willing to become more like him tomorrow than you are today? Are you willing to be more like him today than what you were yesterday? When we see in John the 13th chapter in verse 34, notice he said a new commandment that I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, when we see this, it's, it's kind of difficult at first glance to see what's the new part of this. Why does he say a new commandment when the Old Testament also taught us to love one another? But notice he said, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the newness of this command. We are to love one another as Jesus loved us. What did he do? He washed feet. He gave himself to die on a cross. And now he stands as our example. And so again, as we're moving toward him, would anyone here be so arrogant as to say, well, I already love exactly the way Jesus loved. No. So what does that mean? There's room for growth. Our love can abound. Listen to me. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have the capacity to love others greater this week than you did last week. Everybody in this room has that capacity. Paul's prayer was the people of Philippi to do it. He wanted their love to abound now more than it did in the past. And that ought to be our prayer. That ought to be our desire about this summer. Who are we going to be when this summer is over with? Let's be people that our love has abounded. It has expanded. We love God more fervently and purely than we ever have. We love and serve each other better than we ever have our church family. We love and reach out to strangers with a greater service heart before, uh, now more so than ever before. Let that be our prayer. But notice it's also active. You see, this love that we're reading about is agape. And in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, I'd like for you to notice just characteristics about this love in verse 4. Beginning, it suffers long, it's kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now please note this. In the original text, every one of those descriptions in the Greek are verbs. Every one of them, without exception, are verbs. What's the point? When Paul prays that that love may abound, he literally is talking about actions. You and I making decisions on how we will treat someone. We make decisions 
on whether or not we will fulfill the commitment that we have made. It's not tied to, well, how do I feel right now about this? It's not tied to, well, did they hurt my feelings or not? It's tied to sacrifice. It's tied to a commitment to God that causes us to fulfill that commitment to one another. And then I'd like for you to notice as we go back to our text in Philippians, the first chapter, look again at the, toward the end of verse 9 when he says about, and this is about love being connected, but notice what it's connected to. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge. Now it is true that when we speak of romantic love, we can honestly, usually say love is blind. We have to be careful when we make decisions based off of a feeling because we will make foolish decisions because we feel foolish ways about things from time to time. I want you to think about love having an anchor. Now, is this anchor going to be connected to your feelings? Well, what are you going to do when Monday morning's a bad day? Are you going to treat everybody in a bad way because your actions are tied to your feelings? What about when, when, when the person you're sharing a hotel room with on the campaign snores and keeps you up half the night? How are you going to treat them the next morning? Is, is, your, is, your, anchor, is your anchor of behavior tied to how you feel? Or is it tied to something that is substantial? Something that is firm? Where does Paul, in his prayer, tie their love? He wants their love to abound, increase, more and more in knowledge. It's in the truth of God that our love is to be anchored. Now, when we look at 1 Peter, the first chapter, in verse 22, we have an example of this where he says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Isn't that beautiful? Here he's teaching us how to love one another, but before he gets to how we love one another, he says, now what's your relationship with truth? Is your heart purified by the truth? Is your heart pure because, because you love the truth? Once our love is settled in truth, then the way we serve others, the way we interact with others will be right. And so when we talk about a love abounding more and more, notice it has to be connected to truth. But then finally this morning, I'd like for you to look at one more thing as we go back and finish verse 9 and look at verse 10 of Philippians 1. This love is discerning. Notice this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent. Discernment. We can take knowledge, but friends, if we cannot figure out how to take the knowledge of God and make it our behavior, our thoughts, our conduct in day-to-day living, we've missed the importance of truth. Can we discern? Discernment is to make decisions. Can we make decisions based off of the truth of God's Word? Now, when we see... This love is to be bathed, if you will. It's to be connected with truth so that it affects our decisions and our behavior. In Romans, the 10th chapter and verse 2, I'm afraid, describes a lot of our religious community around us today. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, 
but not according to knowledge. That they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, seek to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted to the righteousness of God. They haven't submitted. Why? Because their decision-making process isn't correct. Why? They don't have discernment. Why? Because their love is not tied to knowledge. Love tied to knowledge helps us make the right decisions so that our relationship with God and our relationship with others is just what it ought to be. And so Paul's prayer, his prayer is that in love they may abound more and more still in knowledge and in discernment. I hope that everyone believes in the God who can take a little peach, tree, twig, and by the end of the summer, he can make a beautiful peach hang on the end of that twig. That's the God we serve. And the same God that can put a peach on a peach tree is the same God that can put fruit of righteousness in the lives of every one of us greater by the end of July than by the beginning of June. He's the same God that can add fruit in Kentucky and in Mississippi and in West Virginia, and in Tennessee. Do you believe in the power of a fruitful God? And if so, I hope your knees will be bent. And I hope your prayer will be fervent. That the love of God would grow and increase in every one of our lives. That fruit of righteousness that's only found in Jesus can prevail. It's not an activity. It's our life. It's when we get to the point where we say, I don't have to pray. Oh, I do. But I pray primarily because of the compulsion to pray. This morning, what about your life? Are you right with God? Are you close to God? Is your life bearing fruit for God? If you've never been immersed into Christ, if that fruit of becoming a Christian has never been born in your life and your sin's forgiven, why not this morning? We'd love to to assist you. We would love to encourage you. We would love to help you in any way that we can. Maybe you've already become a Christian and, and maybe along the way your life is just off path. Maybe you're not producing the fruit that you ought to produce. Listen, that can change. That can change today. That can change right now. Because of God's grace and His mercy and His great love. If you need to repent, confess sin and pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.